everyone out there in the land. Did you miss me? Welcome back to Dark Sky 12. This is a podcast where I simply talk to people whom I find interesting. That's it. Nothing else. It's been a lot of fun over the last couple of years, and I appreciate your continued support. So let's get to it. Today, I am joined by Dr. David Rausch, UTC educator, administrator. Among other things, he runs the Learning and Leadership EDD and PhD programs. He's a Renaissance man, a global traveler, and an expansive thinker, and I was really excited to have him call in and join me. I'm excited to talk to you. I, this podcast, by the way, all it is is just me talking to people I think are interesting, and and you are definitely on that list. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I will say that something that I know is important to both of us. Yes. You know, the idea of advocacy. Oh yeah. And yeah. and interesting, you know, when we define leadership, and we talked about this back when when we were studying, as you were. Uh, working diligently to become Dr. James, which you absolutely are. <laughs> um, right. You know, as we define leadership, really one of the words that can really be used synonymously, the way I look at the leadership process, is advocacy. Whether it's for the people you're accountable for, who you work with, the mission, whatever you're doing, you've got to be willing to be an advocate for others because you're really not in charge of anything. You're accountable for many things, perhaps, when you're in a role that others might consider leadership mm -hmm. or part of a structure. But in terms of what you actually do, you inquire support and advocate on behalf of others, an idea, and whatever needs to be done to be able to move a group, a shared vision forward. Yeah. So yeah. as we talk about, you know, it's interesting today in the press, there's all this talk about advocacy and it makes everyone nervous. And it's like, wait, stop. Advocacy doesn't just talk about an individual issue. Advocacy is what anybody in a leadership role or involved in a leadership process should be doing. Everything you do is a type of advocacy for or in support of an idea or others. It, it should be 100%. But, you know, as we've discussed many times, a lot of people um, go into leadership roles you know, for other reasons, they, they want to advance yeah. various things. Maybe it's money, maybe it's prestige, maybe whatever. But you're right. It should be that. And I think advocacy makes people nervous because, well, one of the reasons it exists because something is not utopian, right? Something is not perfect. Something needs to change. Right. And we're uncomfortable, it seems like, as a society, unless we believe that everything is going great. Well, it, it and really... You can be an advocate for any view. Traditional status quo views, you may advocate. Yeah. So it's not something to be afraid of. Advocacy really talks about you have support or recommend or have data to support a particular issue. And when you're in a leadership role, and I'm not talking about people who think they're leader or grand fromage, person in charge. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking yeah. about people who create a process of leadership on a team, an organization, in a nonprofit world, in whatever. 
arena that they're in, you are really advocating for the group, the organization, the individuals to be able to move forward. That's it. But you can't just be passive. You can't say, well, I put the outcomes out there. I hope they come through. You have to find ways to support and advocate the members of your team and your organization to be able to move forward. That's your role. That's why we talk about leadership from the second or third row. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not always being at the front with a flag or a sword. Right. Sometimes yeah. it's being the best support person and strategist that can help the folks who are on that line do the things that they feel and know would be the best, but they need support. Yeah, And, and yeah. that's where leadership should be, and that's yeah. where, if you're involved in leadership, you need to understand that advocacy is a part of your being no matter what the area subject matter if it's political if it's you know it just really doesn't matter it's what you support and what you can offer up support for is what you're advocating for and if you're in, in any part of the leadership process or role you're advocating for the success of others and if not yeah. then you're not leadership role you're trying to promote yourself as the grand fromage that's that's right. How you know some people may not know. I mean, obviously you've had many leadership roles at UTC, and and what is your current role at UTC? By the way, I'm I'm out of the loop. Well, I'm sure I I'm the program director for the um, mm-hmm. EDD leadership EDD mm. uh, the leadership PhD mm-hmm. and the uh, Leap program. Our leader our, it's an a baccalaureate of applied science. In applied oh. leadership, okay, okay, that we have for degree completers, for adults and members of groups who maybe weren't able to get to college and do it, that's set up so they can do things online in short courses to be able to take advantage of their prior experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a new degree in the last year or two, and has has gone very, very well, and people are interested in because there are a lot of folks who just didn't have access for whatever situation to looking at those things. And frankly, in every job, everyone has, no matter what their technical specialty advocating and supporting others, being mm-hmm. part of a leadership process, mm-hmm. being accountable for the activity and success of others, making sure they can get there is what it is. So yeah. that's a big part of my job. I'm also the associate dean, and we only have one in our College of Health Education Professional Studies. Right. So I work a lot with a dean in all the departments, and we have all the licensure programs, whether it's nursing and education and social work or uh, mental health counseling or physical therapy or occupational therapy. We have lots of, those are the programs that are here in the college. And then, of course, I do my work as a professor, and I still teach a full load. I've always taught a full load since I got here 13 years ago. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so you're super active in UTC's leadership, but a lot of people may not know you've had leadership roles in a wide range of business and, and various roles all over the place at high levels. So my question really, you're talking about leadership should should not be someone wanting to be the grand fromage. Um, no. How, in your experience though, here in 2022, after everything we've seen and all the stuff we've been through, how common is it still that people don't want to be a servant leader? They want to be the leader with the fancy tie, with all the money. How common is that grand fromage in your opinion? I think we're raised with that. I mean, yeah, yeah. we were we were raised, you know, many people in this country um, were raised with the idea of heroics, our leadership. And I, I find it interesting because mm-hmm. if you're if you're looking at 
fighting fires or fighting war and that's your hero, Hmm. shouldn't your leadership have been shown to prevent all of that in the first place? Shouldn't we have put sprinklers in buildings (laughs) instead of waiting for them to catch on fire? And shouldn't we have tried to find ways to work together as opposed to waiting for this action so you can run in and be a hero? But that's how we've really looked at things. When the quote-unquote, the chips are down, that's when there's real leadership. And see, I've not seen that be successful. Hmm. And I've done a lot of cleanup jobs in various organizations in the U.S. and abroad, different types of industries where there were problems and had to go in and make a difference. But for anything to be sustainable, you've got to be serving the people who are going to be there after you're gone because they're the ones who have to believe they have a culture where they can be successful. And so the best leadership you can show is by modeling and helping them succeed in what's going to need to happen going forward. You know, it can't be only about you. And frankly, that's tough. You know, I mean, when I played football in high school, and probably wasn't very good, but that said, I was a lineman. I promise you, we never got anything other than we ran into people every down. Yeah. And people who handled the ball got things. Yeah. yeah. But our job was to mix it up in there, do what we needed to do, and get back and do it again. It wasn't pretty. It didn't get headlines. But it was really necessary for success. So we could all feel that we provided leadership in some way as part of the process of the team moving forward. And I don't think it's much different in any organization that I've been involved with throughout my career and in any culture, the respect of another and being able to help them succeed by having a shared vision and understanding where we're going to try to go together is critical. Now it's not easy, nor am I saying that it should all be done by committee. Mm, That's not what this is about. Right, right. Everyone has something to add, and there are different things that you add at different times. So it's not about trying to say that everyone and everything is going to take an equal amount of everyone's energy to be able to move forward. That's not possible. It ebbs ebbs and flows with what people's skills, talents, desires, passions are. Yep. But you have to be respectful enough of them to give them that chance. Right, right. That's, you know, that's, that's right at the center of huge issues in our society. And, uh, you're right. I mean, everything can't be done by committee and, you know, we may not want to get too far down this road, but I do, I totally believe that we, we, we have to move forward with, you know, people making decisions, but what you had addended there at the end is perfect. You have to open up, you know, a forum to, to hear the people. But there comes a time when we just have to move forward, and that's not super popular currently. No. And, and frankly, that's why we try, uh, the people who I'm fortunate enough to work with and people who I've worked with in the past, that's why we try to be so data-informed. Yes, I don't believe yes, yes, in data-driven decisions because right. data can't drive a decision. Human beings are going to be involved no matter what you're doing unless it's, it's artificial intelligence that we're, we're using or machine learning to have some more automated responses. But in most issues, we're dealing with human beings. So we have to be data-informed and have the best information, and data doesn't just mean numbers. Mm -hmm. It also includes understanding the opinions, feelings, and experiences of those people around. But you have to have that data when a decision finally needs to be made Mm -hmm. because my emotional state to make the decision isn't necessarily respectful of everyone else who it may have an impact on, nor the people who've been involved in getting us to that point. Right. That's correct. So while I may understand it well, unless I can lay out with transparency to others, here's really what we need to make this based on. Even if there are some things in there that they wouldn't agree with, I owe that to them because that's how we're moving forward. 
and that's not popular, and it's not much fun because we all ego-wise want to believe that we have the secret formula, and I'll say, this is what I think we should do. Well, how come? Let's go ahead and share that. And, of course, a lot of people, whenever you ask them why, they're immediately defensive because they think you're questioning their decision. Yeah, right. Well, right. As, as you and I have dealt with for a number of years working together, mm. I just need to understand why you think that's the way to go. That's I'm right. not questioning what you're saying. I just, I don't know. Please share. And so, you know, it would be, I guess, better to say please share some more information instead of why, but not make it defensive. But, you know, that's, that's semantics and also that's not how people operate. But that's what we really need to do. You need to be transparent enough to say, here's what the decision is based on that we have to do moving forward. And whoever that a person or that group of people are that are accountable for what needs to happen going forward, need to be able to share that information. And obviously, there are probably times when due to pers- personnel issues, what's going on with someone privately, et cetera, that we can't know everything. And I get that. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful of someone's personal situation. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the data we use to make a decision and the inputs we use are things that the people who are going to be affected by that decision need to understand. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And if if someone can't answer the question why fairly succinctly, and you know, I think that kind of goes to show they they need to think some more about it because it's it's not about questioning the person; it's about making the right decision moving forward and. Uh, I, I valued that definitely with our professional relationship. I remember when I was in the EDD program, people were talking about, oh, who who are we going to ask to be our you know advisor and chair and everything? And I remember telling some some people, no names ever mentioned, right, to protect the guilty. <laughs> I remember telling some people, well, I definitely want to get Roush, you know, as my as my chair. And they were like, well, why? You guys seem so different. And like, wh- I, he scares me. Like people told me literally, they were like afraid to tell you their ideas and stuff. And um, I, I just I just found that crazy. I thought, he's the one you want on your side. Uh, yes, he's challenging, but that's what I wanted. That's what I needed to get my wild ideas, you know, banged together in something that, you know, made sense. So I, I don't know why people avoid the Roush effect. I, I find it very valuable. <laughs> well, I, I just, I think it's funny. There are people who are that way. And, you know, you have to be, I'm not pretty. I'm square and six one. I'm a lot of things that might make some other people uncomfortable. That's true. That's true. When I walk into a room and have some presence just because I'm a big lumbering soul. Yeah. But I think I've proven and I want to continue to prove and I want everyone who I'm able to work with and help from a learning perspective and from a coaching and mentoring perspective that I'm coming there to advocate for your success. You know, my job as chair of a dissertation or head of a department or program, Mm -hmm. my job was to be there for you to move forward and do whatever it took to support you moving forward. Yeah, that's right. Anything other than that was is counter to why we even exist. I think why would you have yeah, someone responsible right. for that or accountable who didn't think their mission was to help you succeed? That's right. I, I thought some, I think some people just were misinformed a little bit with what they were worried about with with several of the professors like the idea of like I think they were afraid it was going to get personal and I just remember thinking okay whatever Dr. Roush has going on in his personal life has nothing. He doesn't care. Like none of this has anything to do with his personal life. So that's why I always felt totally at ease to this very day to question you and challenge you and debate things with you. And I never had any worries about it because I knew that you're coming from a very 
professional, yes, non-personal thing. I mean, if you were only, if you only cared about yourself, you probably could just retire and move to wherever you wanted to. And, um, so it's not a personal thing. And I, I don't know, I found it a very valuable way that you were, you know, very, uh, uh, what would be a good word to put you? I don't want to say forceful, but that may be a good one, but you are a very, uh, strong presence in, uh, my doctoral degree. And I appreciate that very much. I, I just I wanted you to succeed, um, and frankly, when when if you're willing to listen, the learning I get. I mean, frankly, that's the reason chairing dissertations, which I still get to do, and working on projects and coursework with people at all levels in higher ed and the consulting work that I've done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the only way you learn is if you have people who are willing to challenge you. Man, yeah, there are things, right. and you and I. I mean, you had worldviews that I had never, and have been a lot of places, but I had never comprehended and then you and i were actually even able to teach a class together yeah and some of the things that we brought to the fore frankly neither one of us had ever really had personal experience to know that could be a perception that someone had or a viewpoint that they were operating from or had been they've been treated with someone who was operating from Mm -hmm. yeah that's true and if you were trying to be authoritative or say well no that's not what we're talking about instead of opening it up and listening shame on us and why are we doing what we're doing you might as well go hide on an island because you're not going to get anything in terms of learning growth Hmm. if you're Hmm. not willing to challenge those things and be challenged and still be respectful to the other human beings no one needs to be treated poorly or condescended to and they the key is if they feel they are no matter what is happening from the mind of the person doing it then you need to regroup and say, okay, why do they feel that? It's the reason I don't, I quit wearing ties probably four years ago now. Mm. And the reason was people said I looked too much like a businessman who's going to tell them what to do. <laughs> well, frankly, I wore that uniform for a lot of years, but if that's what they thought, yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. And maybe it makes me more accessible. And so I'm in. And those are the simple yeah. things of listening and trying to perceive the value. You can't add value to someone else if you're, if you're not approachable or find a way to assist them. So I think that's something we all have to work on every day. And trust me, when I say these things or what I need to have, I have not figured this out. I get up every day figuring out, okay, I know there's a gem in here somewhere. I have to keep digging <laughs> yeah. because I know I'm not, I'm not connecting on a level that someone's comfortable with. So that's my responsibility, not well, they just don't know enough. Oh, they're not familiar. Oh, they just, no, no. You've got to take responsibility in the same way a faculty member who has a student who we know is working hard and keeps getting C's. Mm. We have to look at our syllabi and our coursework and say, if a bunch of them are doing that, why am, what is not happening in the class to connect? Yeah, right. It's right. not just necessarily an external thing. It's like, what in the, my design? What in my presentation? What in my relationship to the people who are in the learning journey? What am I doing? So it may not have anything to do, but you've got to open yourself up to that, looking at it from that perspective and not just look externally. Yeah, that's true. There, There, there is this long tradition. That's probably the wrong word, but there's this long uh, practice of, of you know, professors and teachers at all levels just assuming, well, these students are just dumb or they're not getting it. And you're talking about reflecting on, you know, what what are you doing or not doing in the classroom and uh, you, you're probably familiar with that. I think it's a Japanese concept of Kaizen. Does that ring a bell? Yep. Um, so that's, oh, yeah. that's what I hear there. That's just, uh, if anybody's listening and you don't know what Kaizen is, my understanding is 
uh, it's just basically continuous improvement. Is that is that right. correct? Yes, and, yeah. and, and the simple explanation was don't just have – it's one of the reasons I, I much more appreciate formative assessment than summative in learning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, you don't put a quality control group at the end <laughs> yeah. and then have them pull out all the items that are bad. You take people and train them all so as the items aren't working, they can be fixed or replaced farther down the line. So from a formative standpoint, everyone's learning to put out better product. The same is true with a service or anything else. Yeah, you don't just yeah. wait till the end and do an aha. Yeah. Because frankly, it's much more important from my perspective for a human cognition or learning mm, yeah, that yeah. you're able to weave what you've gone through into your thought processes in life than you're able to remember and recount a theoretical citation or a specific formula. Yeah, that's right. So how is the EDD and PhD programs coming along? What number cohort are we on at this point? Uh, we're probably in 22, 23. Um, um, the EDD group is, is an all online group now. Okay. After okay. we do an induction in the summer, but it, they're really focused on learning and leadership and instructional practice. But when I say instructional practice, I don't mean education. Learning and leadership go together because part of what you have to do is be willing to share demonstrate and model what it takes to move forward. So when we talk instructional practice in that program, be it people from training, education, human resources, people who work for any area, nonprofit, profit, part of it is getting the message out. It's a communication exercise. And if you look at the basics of instructional practice from a cognitive standpoint, especially dealing with adults, you're looking at ego and other things. You have to find a way to help people feel comfortable taking on this new view, new way of looking at it, or new information. So that's what that program focuses on. It's still very multidisciplinary, people from all sorts of walks of life who take it. Yeah, okay. And then we have a, the PhD focuses on leadership and decision-making. And the reason we do that is we're starting yeah. to look at more ways to make a decision. The classes that are in that include things like the cognitive aspects of decision-making, ethical aspects, measurement aspects of decision-making. We look at more um, predictive analytic work, you know, some Bayesian statistical work to say, yeah, sure. all right, let's talk about what if. Let's not just take a snapshot and say, here's what happened in the past. Here's what we think will happen in the future. No, the world doesn't play that way. The world's fluid moving all the time. Mm -hmm. So from a leadership perspective and to make decisions, we have to have great data. We have to have great inputs and great responses from all of the areas that may be impacted. And we have to bring that together in a model to help us make the best decision we can because we'll never have enough to feel completely confident that it's the way we need to go. Yeah, that's true. But we have to get comfortable with what we have to be able to do the best we can for whatever that decision that needs to be made is going to uh, impact. Mm. Yeah, I feel really old at this point. I think, I think we were... Um C seven maybe I'm not I'm not sure I can't remember but uh, that that's amazing that it has gone on you know uninterrupted for so long and is the EDD shift fully online was that sort of um, pandemic uh, driven or is that just kind of a permanent no, shift? No, it, well, it was really it was really for people who were looking at it. You know, part of the part of the issue was there are so many other programs that whether it's work reimbursement or their time or other things they were doing. And we found the big difference was the depth of research at the end. Yeah, sure. Where sure. people who are going for the, you know, the PhD understand they have to do a very rigorous, create new knowledge for the field type of dissertation. 
And in the EDD, what we're finding is people who were in a professional practice and wanted to do a very large project or evaluation or pro forma for something that needed to go forward, which is as intense as any dissertation, but it's not as much from a theoretical standpoint as it's more action research and associated that way. So at the end of the EDD, we have a project of practice you work on that's every bit as as deep as what a dissertation would be, but it's not as pure research-based as it is looking at an applicable study and being able to say, here's how we can make a difference there. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That really does make sense since now because I I graduated from there pretty pretty soon before the split. It was just an EDD program, uh, and so right. the PhD option was added. And I remember at the time you guys were adding. It seems to me like some cognitive decision making classes. So that's not surprising that that has been added pretty heavily to the PhD side of the house. Um, yeah, and the EDD side, frankly, those are electives. Anybody can take them. Yeah. So it's not yeah. as though one area of of either one would keep you from going into that area. It's just been more designed for the people whose professional practice and what they believe their future practice or area of interest will be. So it's more consistent with what they think they want and where they're going to go. Yeah, sure. How big of a challenge was it for you guys uh, with all the shutdowns and everything over the last two years? How, how, how did that, was that just terrible? I mean, it was terrible for a whole bunch of people. I totally understand, but. Mike, it was really hard on, the people who are the participants in the program, because yeah. some of them do with the hybrid nature of it, you know, really appreciated their time that they got to come work on campus as well as all the work we do in the virtual classroom. Yeah, right, right. And so while, you know, we couldn't do some of that, so that was hard on some of them. But what we also found is if you remember, I mean, we've been doing, we used Zoom when it wasn't cool six <laughs> years ago before yeah. the, the, you know, right. the university was using it. And, and we, you know, did a lot of our meetings because our people work full time. Yeah, Our people right. have jobs, and they can't. Most of them can't just drop by, and they might not even be close. They might be in Louisville. Yeah. So we used technology a lot before to keep people up to date. Plus, we all are set up so that we're available bizarre hours. Because remember, we're all twelve month faculty. That's intentional because we have a year round program, but it also keeps us understanding what the people who are in the program do. They work all day every day. And we've got to be able to respond to them when they have time. So that's how we operate along the same lines, because any time of the year, they might need that kind of support. And we can't afford, unlike what a typical nine-month faculty schedule might allow, we can't afford to not have that level of availability. So that's why we use the 12-month faculty model. Yeah, that's interesting. Is that for all faculty members? Yeah, our full-time faculty. Yeah, all 12 months. That's what we have. Yep. That's now, obviously, when they teach and they spend all day a Saturday, we take days and we yeah, do other things. Yeah. But the idea is that we are dealing with working professionals who are doing this. And it also keeps the faculty team really engaged because, as you know, when you experience no one person assesses anyone else's work, yeah, we, yeah. we pass it around so we can make sure that no one's showing a bias or not adhering to the rubrics that we've shared. And so it makes it much easier to do that when we all understand that's what we're here for. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, sure, sure. That that does make sense. Um, I, you know, I've thought a, a lot about leadership over the last couple of years with the pandemic. You know, we've seen various types of leadership in various types of places, and I wonder if there's going to be some kind of lasting uh, change on on not just leadership, but even just like you talk about cognitive uh, decision making. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very relevant 
uh, topic to the last couple of years. Has anybody done any dissertations or anything on just how we've seen this stuff morph because of everything from lockdowns to mistrust of various things? Um, has yeah, I'm curious if that we're just starting. Yeah, yeah, sure. we're just starting to get people now that theoretically we're going to be done. Although the whole world talks about more waves and all of those things, mm. but as we've kind of come to a close on yep. on the big part of what we viewed is that right. we're starting to see people looking at research. Frankly, one of the decision-making points that, you know, while no one's sure of the data because of how it's reported, but a lot more people say, this is just not what I want to do. Mm. And they're making decisions based on what's important to them as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to this is the only way it can happen because what the pandemic did prove is there are a lot of ways to contribute to an organization to a group, yes. to company, yes. without having to show up, be there, and do those things. There is, you know, it's really about outcomes, which is how we look at learning. It's not about did you do these these tasks. It's about have these outcomes been met, and if these outcomes can be met, that's right. It's not important to me all the tasks along the way you did if you're able to meet those outcomes. And I think the workplace, people are starting to look at the workplace that way. And it's very frustrating for people who've been around who think that they've got to see people in there working to get, you know, output. Frankly, it really boils down to are they meeting the outcomes and providing the service value, whatever they need to do that's necessary. And if it is, that's a real big shift for folks to say, you know, maybe maybe they don't need to be there all the time if they have the facility to -hmm. work another way well as you as you know i am all about that because i've often thought the way things are are fine if one you know wants to be in certain paradigms and it's not a problem but i've often wished there were more ways to as you put it to contribute to things and um not necessarily i am with you people are worried about the quality of like people who are working from home or or whatever. And we know that's a problem sometimes, but what you're saying, if it's a problem, then they will not meet the outcomes. So if the out, I always think this, I used to, I was a fellow over in the Walker center and part of my, I don't, she knows this. she, She won't mind. Part of my duties was to put in a certain amount of hours right over there in, in the little office they gave me. I remember talking with her. Well, if I, I can do this elsewhere, why, why do I have to sit here in this desk? You know what I mean? Till till five p.m. Do I have to? Do I really dawn? Do I really have to sit here? And she was like, "James, that's just that's just the way it is," you know. And I remember having this argument. Like, saying, my point was this: if the work is good, regardless of where you are, it will show up in the outcomes. So I'm with you 100. <laughs> percent Yeah, and I think that's the other thing. This is going to cause. The reason this is going to be so challenging for people is, you know, one of the bases that we look at for good leadership is to establish trust and respect. Yes, yes. Well, you really have to have trust and respect when you don't see the person every day. So now it's going to challenge you and say, look, I respect you enough to know this outcome is going to go here. And I'm going to start out thinking you can pull it off. And if you can't, it's because you need training and support. I'm there. But yeah. if you can't, because that takes a lot more self-discipline than being here, yeah. then it's an issue we have to talk about for you to meet the outcomes. But none of this is personal. That's right. That's right. This has to do with the outcomes necessary for the position and for the duties or for the outcomes we're looking at. Yep. It's not, are you a hard enough working? Are you a good enough? No, <laughs> no. When we, when we evaluate someone's performance, 
That's just what we're evaluating, their performance. Yeah. You can't lay hands on someone's shoulder and say, oh, yeah, they have a good attitude. Oh, yeah, I feel, feel good about them. That's nonsense. You have to look at their outcomes and what their demonstrated behaviors are. That's uh, that's perfect because you know, some people who are high functioning in certain areas of thought or certain certain things, they often will have different ways they go about things. Right. And, um, right. you know, sometimes things just don't uh, fit into a traditional paradigm. And I think corporations or just organizations are missing out on a lot of people's uh, a lot of talented, bright people's influence. You know, because they just can't, you know, do certain things. So maybe this will free right. yeah. up some chances for those individuals to uh, to help. I hope so. Out. And I, I think the other thing it does is this makes clear what it takes to operate in a more virtual environment. You know, one of the yeah. reasons yeah. I've never been a proponent of do all the things online in the world mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. for some people, that takes an amount when you have a life and you have other things going on, that takes an amount of self-discipline that for some people having the motivation of a, of a tighter structure of where they are physically, yeah. of what's due, which is one of the reasons, you know, probably, I want to believe this, that we had to do homework in grade school or in junior high, <laughs> was they were getting us in the habit of continuing from a formative standpoint to gather information instead of doing the cram at the end. And we all know how that worked or didn't yeah. work based on who we were, yeah. but that was the idea. Yeah. And the idea with outcomes is to say measure formatively the outcomes, and then let's determine if, in fact, people are able to meet those. And if the structure, the way we're doing it virtually, doesn't work for them, let's find another structure, not judge them as a human being, as a failure or a success. Let's talk about what it takes for them to be successful. Yeah, right. I think you'll like this. A, a friend of mine works for Facebook, and he was living in the Bay Area, right? He was make, he makes a certain salary. He moved out there to work for Facebook, it was a good salary. It was a decent salary for the Bay Area, right? So this is a this is a big salary. And he was there for about a year before the pandemic. And then they sent everybody to virtual mode. And he moved back here in the house that he owned that he was renting out when he was gone. And Facebook announced they're just making anybody who wants to become permanently distant can do it. And they're going to keep their same salary. So this guy now is living in Chattanooga with a salary that would make him live comfortably in the Bay area. Right. So he has this huge, you know, benefit salary wise, but they've told him they give him a list of things per month that he has to do. And Mm -hmm. they've told him at any time going forward from this day, starting now, if you don't get one of these things done at a high level, we're going to let you go. And uh, he jumped at the chance to take that. And uh, I think I think that's interesting. That's an interesting uh, paradigm. Yeah, I mean, they they clearly did it with an automatic way. I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to develop someone for the long haul. Yeah, but I right. guess that's their way of saying we will be outcome driven. Here are the outcomes. Here now, if are. one thing wasn't done, we don't know what happened to that person's personal life or anything else. And frankly, if they'd been in the office, they might not have gotten the one thing done as well. That's true. So just that's saying true. it's because they aren't there might not, in my world, might not necessarily be the the right way. But it. it there's no question that it's clear and the communication is transparent yep. on here's what we're going to do. Like they don't care if he checks in, they don't care what he does just so he does these things at a high level. And, uh, and so far he's been that way for a couple of years now and it's uh, working out great for him where it definitely wouldn't work out for everyone, but for that person it's working great. So it's interesting as well yep. what's going to happen, but I don't know. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're busy, but 
I definitely value your perspective on leadership and many, many other things we have discussed over the years. Uh, but what I'd just like to end this, if you don't mind, what, how do you feel about where we're going as a country? I mean, are you hopeful? Are you, are you, are you pessimistic? Do you feel pretty good about this great nation that we are citizens of? I'm just curious. How do you kind of, what's, what's the, the David Roush score right now on our great country? Because I've got some thoughts on well, that. The little bit I, I think is based on what I've seen and, yeah. and the information I have. Yeah. So I'm sure that that very small wedge of pie isn't nearly enough to have this be germane to everyone. Right. But right. that said, I'm, I think we're in a position where we can probably do some incredible things mm-hmm. that had we not dealt with some of these crises situations, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. There are issues of people and from different groups getting along and dealing with each other that have been brought to the fore that yeah. can, that will not ever go away now that we have to find a way to make work. There are issues relative to finding skill sets that people have that we may not have to be looking over their shoulder for them to be able to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. And they can come up with incredible things, whether or not we're sitting in the same building. You know, we have political issues now that we're dealing with yeah, that yeah. we can't always know what someone else is going to do in another country or place. But at the same time, how do we handle making a difference and making sure that all the people we're aware of anywhere in the world are having the best life they can, but not going beyond the old saying of our rights extend to the point at which they may infringe upon another's. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. How, do, how, do, how do we look at that? And so I think there, because of some of the turmoil, you know, I've always said, and I think for as long as we've known each other, one of the things, there's always opportunity in chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what needs to happen now is with all of these things coming in many ways to a head or really presenting themselves in front of all of us, it, it's now is a time that we can really look at, okay, we have to look at our viewpoints. Because frankly, the, the activities and energy it's going to take to make some things better, everyone could figure out. It wouldn't be – the tactics aren't the question. Hmm. The, the concept is culture. How can we start to view things culturally to be comfortable with the other human beings we live with? Mm. And that doesn't mean we always agree. That doesn't mean we want to live like they live. But create a sense of comfort and respect for that's what they're doing. Here's what we're doing. And we can feel that they're respectful of those they're around and we're respectful of those who we're around. You know, you can't, we can't legislate or enforce behaviors on a world Hmm. yeah yeah we can absolutely demonstrate and it's not to say that we here in the great united states or any other country have always demonstrated the best behavior of how we might hold somebody else accountable you know everyone's guilty in life of do what i say not what i do kind of actions that they might not have intended but that's how it came out so i think now it's really if we can be open enough, if we can have that good old tolerance for ambiguity to say it isn't going to be clean and clear how this is going to go, but let's try to work through it. And after a yeah. pandemic, yeah. you were trying to protect, you know, me and mine or yours and yours um, to try to bring them together because everyone's worried what's going to happen. I think that brought people, instead of thinking of something larger and trying to help on a bigger scale, it made them think, OK, what am I going to do for me and mine? How can I make it work for me? 
where can we have a positive impact, and are we willing to hold ourselves responsible for improvement? Because there are many things happening in a way that most people would not agree with or feel comfortable with when it comes to how well other people are always treated and how willing everyone is to be respectful with the rest of the folks who they come into contact with in the world. Like you always do, you, you opened up a can of worms right there in the middle because I totally agree with you that over the pandemic, when especially in the early phases when there was a just a huge level of fear, right? We don't know what this stuff is. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, there there was this egoism, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that in a you know, an evolutionary turn way, right? There was this idea of we have to take care of of like you said ours remember the uh, the great toilet paper shortage and all that mm-hmm. stuff in the early days so there was this sort of evolutionary biological display of egoism where we were like oh crap we might actually be existentially threatened right now so i care about me and my six kids and my wife and and that's about it and that was kind of an understandable in a way Again, evolutionarily speaking, that's kind of an understandable human-animal impulse. So we've had that, and that's been amplified, and now it seems like it seems like we're coming out of that phase where we have to, like you just said, we have to get more into this, more into that pluralistic subjectivity to some degree, right? We have to get away, we have to get more community-oriented, and I think that's going to be the big shift coming up. Are we going to be able to get out of this kind of egoism that maybe we very understandably went into? Are we going to be able to shift back to have a, you know, a, a more of a community which would take care of that, you know, that fine balance between, uh, yeah, pluralism, but also the utilitarianism that our leaders have to have, right? I mean, we have to do what affects. Right. There's, there's got to be a, a combination of both. We've done it before in yeah. this country, yeah. whether it was after World yeah. War II right. or it was after the 9-11 issue where people from all views, all types, were trying to come together for what seemed to be a good cause. And frankly, the community of this country and moving forward and the opportunity to create is something we can all come together. But we are coming out of yes. a yes. having to pull it in close That's right. because of fear that, in fact, you didn't know what was going to happen next. And frankly, no one else did. So... With that in mind, it's that we have to be patient, respectful of others, but at the same time, we can't let go of the fact that we need to continue to advance. We don't need to go into, you know, island mode. We don't need to go into silo mode. We need to realize that we're yep. part of something bigger, yep. and how can we make an impact yep. or a difference? That Yeah, that's right. That's exactly Aren't we good? We always get at it, don't we? This is th- that's it. what you just really? said. Right, that's where we are, in my opinion, right now in April of 2022. We we cannot descend into meaningless subjectivity, but we have to have respectful pluralism at the same time. You mentioned World War II. You mentioned 9/11. Uh, even the Great Recession, to some degree, right in 08. Uh, but there's right. this. I, we're coming out of something. We have a chance to to coalesce into something better. And I really hope we grab this opportunity to do so. I, and I, I think this is our shot. I, now, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that, no. you know, there aren't a lot of challenges to take it on. And it's certainly not, oh, just looking, you know, at pie in the sky. No, there's a lot of work <laughs> yeah. ahead. But at right. the same time, yeah. you don't accomplish any of that by put, hanging your head down and seeing there's only a half full glass because that's what causes you to not be able to move ahead or not be able to have yes. any kind of relationship with others, and right. you don't live alone on an island. 
That's right. It can seem like we are alone on our island, maybe with our mm -hmm. uh, salves of whatever social media and a thousand streaming channels where we could just watch television every day if we wanted to. There's all kinds of ways we can we can kind of dull our experience and make us feel as if we are on an island. But uh, you're right. We're not. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, you know, sir, that's why that's why you're the man. That's why you're the person. <laughs> no, I pre I appreciate getting the chance to talk about some of these things. Yeah. And I hope it. Yeah. You know, I don't want to alienate anybody or have anyone. It's just this is this is what I understand and have experienced, and this is a viewpoint based on the information I know. If more information comes in, then in fact my viewpoints could be flawed, like everyone's can be, and so that's something you have to keep looking at, and it's one of the reasons that tomorrow is another day that we have to look at with different inputs to say, okay, how are we looking at this? Yeah. You know, we yeah. don't get to stand still. You know, living in this world is like a river that keeps moving. So mm. the current's not going to stop, so we have to figure out the best way to be able to contribute to it and be able to feel that we have a place in it and that we can help those around us because I really think that's the biggest thing is mm. if you're making a difference, not only for yourself, which you say, I want to accomplish these things, but for some others, you're going to be far happier in the long run with the kind of output that will take place. And there it is, everybody. Uh, that's why uh, you should definitely take classes from this individual if you can, if you happen to be a student in the program. Uh, and that's why I always value your opinion, Dr. Rouse. Thanks so much for coming on the show. 